Voices of the Temple, official podcast of the Temple of Witchcraft, exploring mystery and magic through love, will, and wisdom, hosted by Adam Sartwell. All right. Hey, listeners, I'm going to get us into sacred space. I call upon the great spirit. I call upon the two who move as one, the goddess and the God, through the three rays of love, will, and wisdom. I call upon the goddess, maiden, mother, and crone, past, present, and future, creator, sustainer, destroyer, and weaver of the web. I call upon the God, Lord of light and Lord of darkness, God of the green and the gold, God of the horn and the red, singer of the song. Be with us now and forever. So mote it be. So today, as as you requested, I am here with Chris Tro, and Chris has been studying and practicing magic for 40 years. A, he is an accomplished tarot reader and teacher and longstanding member of the temple community. He is initiated priest of the ancestors and the inner convocation. He has led workshops on concepts of the goddess throughout the world and tarot and the runes, the Ifa religion of West Africa and the fairy faith of the Celtic world. He is a tarot reader and has decades of experience and is always happy to share his extensive knowledge with our temple community. So hi, Chris. Hey, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I was telling you before we started that uh, our listeners actually were the ones who, cho- who chose some of our, our people who wanted to be interviewed, and you were one of them. And so I asked them, what do you want to know from Chris Giroux? Um, so this first one, I, uh, I kind of clapped back on in the, in the post, uh, just cause I was like, I know what he's going to say. Uh, <laughs> so this one is from Jocelyn and she asks, uh, <laughs> when are you going to put out a book on tarot? <laughs> I am never, ever going to put out a book. <laughs> never say never though. Right. I, I, yeah. <laughs> I, I just don't think a book on tarot is is really in the works. I mean, I love to teach tarot, um, but if I wrote a book 20 years ago when people told me to write a book, I would have to rewrite that book. And I would have to have rewritten that book about 15 times in the 20 years that have gone past because tarot is not a stagnant um is not a stagnant form of of divination for me. It is constantly transforming, it's constantly moving. Um I, you know, I'll pick up a new deck and I'll look at some cards in that deck and I'll see something that I hadn't seen in a previous, in the imagery of a previous deck. Um, So even though um, how I teach the tarot pretty much stays similar, um, because my goal in teaching the tarot is really to give people who may or may not have a psychic talent an ability to relate to the cards, to see the story that is unfolding in the cards and although that story kind of stays similar over the ahead uh, and has stayed pretty similar over the past, over my, you know, 20 or 30 years of teaching tarot, 
um, the idea of putting it into a concrete form and then having to to defend that form years later is just not an all interesting to me. So if you want to learn tarot from me, you take a class with me. I'm happy to teach it. I'm happy to talk with people about it. I, you know, um, but putting it down into a book is just not an option. Sorry, Jocelyn. <laughs> Love you though. <laughs> I know. I, I, my clap back was uh, when I'm good and ready. <laughs> That's what he's <laughs> going to say to me. Um, but, uh, I I agree on the you know the tarot having read it for many years I have had moments where it will come through in an intuitive way in a different way than it has ever done before yeah like you know I was recently doing a reading for myself which you know some people don't like to talk about but I threw out the 6 of swords and I was like oh and in this moment it's self sabotage yeah, putting exactly. holes in my boat. And I was like, I've never read that that way before. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, okay. Now I've expanded my understanding of what this one card is. Um, I feel like people need to get past the book sometimes and go, what are my ways? Yeah, of- I mean, when I teach the Tarot, I, you know, people, when I, when I first taught it on Zoom, because I used to, you know, I, I like doing it in person. Mm. Um, but when we were doing it via Zoom, I had, I said, well, these are the books I recommend you read if you want to learn tarot. And there were books like, you know, books by Pema Chodron and books by Alice Walker. And I said, listen to the music of the Indigo Girls. And people are like, why aren't there any tarot books on this list? And I'm like, because if you want to know how to read tarot, you don't read a tarot book. You read books about life. That You read mm-hmm. books about how to deal with life and the situations that life throws at you. And and the tarot unfolds that in a way um, that allows you to to um, engage and engage in your own life in a different way. I say that we are in our we're in our lives, you know, so we're looking at a picture really up close. It's a picture made out of a billion dots and we're looking at it like, you know, we're looking at it so close that all we can see is the individual dots. And tarot gives you that opportunity to step back from the picture, look at the whole picture, you know, and then say, oh, I'm engaging in the wrong place. I need to be engaged over here and I need to be working in this particular aspect of my of my life. This is what the universe is trying to get me to look at now. And the tarot gives you that perspective, you know? Yeah. Now, because you don't have a book, when is your next class, Chris? So... Uh, it starts Wednesday nights in April, um, and it goes for seven weeks, four weeks in April and five weeks in May. Hold on. I have to pull up my calendar cause I, I can't remember. Is it on the temple website? Can they go to it temple? It is on the temple. It is. Yep. It's listed on the temple website. Um, so I think it starts April 4th and runs through May 17th. Um, it's a seven week class and it's really, a, it's an introductory class. Um, there are a number of people who took it, have taken it in the past who actually emailed me and said, Hey, are you going to do that class again? Cause I'd like a refresher. And I was like, yeah, sure. You know, so, um, so there's people who have taken it before and people who are taking it for the first time. And it's always, you know, I never teach it the same way twice. You know, there's a few things that I, you get, you know, I always apologize for all of the horrible things I'm going to say about rich, white, heterosexual, able-bodied, weak-willed Christian men. Um, I don't apologize to them. I'm apologizing to the people who love them, you know? Yeah. 
Um, and and I apologize for all of the swearing that I'm bound to do in the class because I swear a lot. Um, but after that, it, it pretty much flows and and it changes and morphs each time I teach it. So, yeah, <clears throat> just like your experience of the tarot, just like my experience of the tarot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, our listeners can look into that. Uh, but I'm going to move on to our next couple of questions. Okay. So uh, from Deb, how did you find your way to the magical path? <laughs> oh, my God. Um, so I was raised Catholic and in Catholicism at about sometime between 12 and 14, you're confirmed and confirmation is this process by which you become a quote unquote adult. And you're given some of the, you know, layperson secrets of the church um, and during my confirmation process, I had this really powerful spiritual experience. And uh, like, I had this feeling like I was just being filled with light and that my head, like there was this crown of light on top of my head. And um, after many, many years of contemplating that experience, I realized that it wasn't so much the confirmation process that was really um, triggering that, it was the singing that was triggering that. Um, but I didn't have any perspective on that at the time, but I was very involved in the choir and, you know, stuff like that in church. Um, so for two years, I pondered, I got really involved in the church and you're, you're raised in a particular tradition. And so that's what you know. So it's not like I was like, I know I w I need to be a priest. I need to be a priest. So, but I was raised Catholic. So what kind of priest am I going to look to being? I'm going to look to being a Catholic priest. But I had some real pressing questions and I went to the, well, I was about 14, I went to the priest and I said, I have this calling, I feel like I'm going to, I need to be a priest, um, but I just have two real hard questions that I can't answer and that I haven't found answers to in the, in the catechism. And I was wondering if you could answer them for me. And, you know, the priest was like, okay, well, what are your questions? I said, if God is all good, where did the bad stuff come from? And he looked at me and he said, well, Christopher, you know, that means it's free will. And we were given free will to choose between the good and the bad. And I was like, yeah, but if God is all good, where'd the bad option come from? And, and he was puzzled. And he was like, and I said, if I'm a human and you're a human, we can make another human. We can't make a monkey, a goat or a dog. Um, unless we're geneticists. And <laughs> right. So if God is all good, where did the bad stuff come from? And so we argued for about 15, 20 minutes. And then finally, you know, here's this 14 year old kid telling this like 90 year old priest, okay, look, we're just gonna have to agree to disagree. I said, but my other question is, where did God come up? If God is male, where do you come up with the idea for God for a woman? And he said, well, he's not a man. And I said, well, then why are we using a masculine pronoun? Why aren't we saying it? And he said, well, that would be disrespectful. And I said, well, then why don't we say she? And he said, well, that would be even worse. And that's sort of where the Catholic Church lost me. <laughs> because the only reason I was a Catholic <laughs> was because of Mary. Like I didn't, Jesus was not my favorite guy. You know, I, I remember being like seven years old and there's a there's a gospel where Jesus is sitting at a at a well and he says to a woman, woman, give me a give me some water. And I remember being seven years old and standing up in church and going, why didn't he say please? <laughs> you know, so, of course, my grandmother was mortified. But hey, you know, that it was what it was. But so so at 14 years old, I said, this is not this 
Catholicism is not feeding me. Like, you know what I mean? It can't answer this very basic question. And so I went on a search and I started looking at other spiritual traditions. And I, so I looked at um, Buddhism and I looked at Hinduism and Judaism and Islam. And a lot of them from Judaism and Islam were more patriarchal, um, even than Christianity, which bothered me. Um, Buddhism, you're born to die. For a 14-year-old, that's not really the way to hook you in. Um, I've, I mean, after many years, I've, I get what they're saying now, but at 14, I was like, that doesn't... And Hinduism, the, the myriad of gods was just overwhelming for me. Um, and then I found a book. Um, I was in Wordsworth Bookstore in Harvard Square and tucked behind... There, there used to be a, a stairway that went up to the second level and tucked behind the stairway, there was this tiny little section called The Occult. And there were, there were like five books in the section. There was The Black Arts by Richard Cavendish, Spiral Dance by Starhawk, Truth or Dare by Starhawk, um, Mastering Witchcraft by Paul Hewson, and Linda Goodman's Sun Signs. And I bought all five books. <laughs> <laughs> and it's made the craft that, that, that you do today. <laughs> they, had, they had to restock that whole section because I just went out, spun all five books, you know. I, the, I'm going to forfeit my comic books this week. I'm just going to buy these. And I read them. And for the first time in my life, it just, you know, and I was probably about 14. And I was probably about 14 and a half, 15, maybe going on 16 at that point. And it and it, it said, you know, God is neither good nor bad. Like Richard Cavendish, the black arts of all of the books on God's green earth to find, like, you know what I mean? But that was the one that made the most sense to me, you know? And it, in the very first chapter, he said, God is not male or female. God is both, you know? God is neither good nor evil. God, you know, there are forces in the universe that build things up and there are forces that are designed to tear things down and they're necessary for us to be here. And that is, that resonated with me. And I was like, this is, you know, this is some good shit, you know? Um, and so that really started me sort of on my on my spiritual path, which ultimately led to sort of a magical path because the two are so intertwined that there's very little, you know, you can't really pull one apart without completely ruining the whole, pull one thread out without completely ruining the fabric itself. So <clears throat> that's sort of what started me on my spiritual journey. Um, and then I... Um, I graduated from undergrad with a mass with a bachelor's degree in philosophy and minors in women's studies and religious studies and a concentration in something called feminist liberation theology. Um, and I went to graduate school for a year and a half and was studying feminist liberation theology. And essentially liberation theology is the theology of the oppressed people. Like, you know, so it's, and feminist liberation theology obviously is the, you know, how women look at the spiritual traditions that they're inheriting from a patriarchal culture and how do they look at those spiritual traditions and make them work for them if they can. Mm -hmm. um, and while I was there, um, I had, I was taking a class on ancient Hebrew, which I thought was, I thought it would be fun. You're like, you know what I mean? We'll, we'll do ancient Hebrew. You know, um, it was a, it was one of those elective requirements and, um, and I raised my hand and I asked, it was an old rabbi who was teaching the class. And I said, can we talk a little bit about like, you know, the, the, you know, the goddess in, in ancient Hebrew culture. 
And he lost his mind. He just went ballistic. He turned bright red and he was screaming at me about how there never was a goddess and we need to get over this idea. And all of you know, all of you people who think that there's never been a goddess and the goddess has never been worshipped. And I'm like, there is tons of archaeological evidence that point to it. Um, there was a book that had actually just come out, um, The Hebrew Goddess by an author, Patai. Um, and I was like, there's all of this evidence that points to the fact that there was a goddess, that there is a Hebrew goddess, Asherah was the goddess. And and I ha actually had to get up and leave the class because I thought I was going to give him a stroke, <laughs> which, which, is, which is my unique ability. I've given many teachers heart attacks and strokes over the course of my, my academic career. Um, and I was sitting in the quad outside and a woman um, who was in the class with me um, an African-American woman, black woman walked up to me and she said, if you really want to know about the goddess, you need to go to places where the goddess is still worshiped. And I looked at her and I looked at her and I said, I have no, I don't want to go to India because India was the only place that I knew of at that point in time that, you know, the goddess was still viable. And she's, I'm not talking about India child. I'm talking about Africa. You need to go to Africa. And I was like, Africa, what goddess is still around in Africa? And it turned out that she was a priestess of Yamaya. And she said, and she put me in touch with uh, Babalao, who was doing um, a fellowship at Harvard University's Divinity School, Wande Abembola. And so I started studying Ifa, um, <clears throat> which in the New World is Lukumi, Santeria, Candoble, um, and all of its derivatives. And that is really what, like, you know, that's where the magic really started to happen. You know, that really intense magical stuff started happening when I started working with these divinities. And the, my, the appeal for me was, as a European, working with different manifestations of the goddess over the years, there's been a, a severance between where we are today and, and our ancestors, like, you know, Christianity drove a 2000 year spike between our, our relationship with those divinities and, and, and who I was at 21, 22 years old. And it was, and I was finding it very difficult to make those connections. And then here I am in this, you know, African spiritual tradition, and it's alive, and it's vibrant, and it's, it's palpable. Like, you know what I mean? You're sitting in a room and they start to do invocations and you can feel the energies coming in, like literally entering the space. And it's just like, and that was, that is what drew me to it. And that's what kept me sort of involved over the years, over the past 20, 23, 24 years um, in, in sort of the magical occult world. Wow. Well, thank you. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> that was a good explanation of how you got into the magical path. I like it. Um, now I have a whole bunch of questions and these are all from Oceana. Okay. Um, so Was there another one by Deb? No, thought, just this oh, one. Just question. that one question. Okay. I just wanted to know how you got into <laughs> it, how you're, you know, um, so Oceana, <laughs> this first one's kind of embarrassing. So, um, ask, uh, he's always so brilliant. And <laughs> how how did he get that way? And, you know, has he always been that way? Or uh, did he have to learn how to be that way? So the question is, how did you become so brilliant, Chris? <laughs> I don't uh, know. Um, so I I refer to my, my thinking process as a lace doily mind. Like some people have linear minds. I have this lace doily, like, 
and I make connections and find patterns where, you know, other people are like, how did you ever see that connection? And I was just like, it's so blatantly obvious to me. Mm -hmm. Um, Astrologically, I have five planets in Virgo, which is um, astrologically is the analytical, you know, the adult of the universe. It's analyzing, it's looking back, it's pondering, it's contemplating, it's thinking about stuff. (laughs) And I have, um, uh, Mercury conjunct Venus, Venus is conjunct Jupiter, Jupiter is conjunct Pluto, and Pluto is conjunct Uranus, and therefore my Mercury and my Uranus are conjunct by default, I say, Um, and these are the two planets that really rule thinking. Um, You know, Mercury for me is what people try to teach you, and Uranus is what you learn and how you apply it. Hmm. And so I'm just fascinated. You could ask, you could ask me where the carburetor was in a car and I couldn't tell you to save my life. Um, but I can name like ancient Mesopotamian goddesses that, <laughs> you know, nobody has ever heard of. Mm-hmm. So there's, it. I think, I think, you know, if I'm brilliant, I'm brilliant in a very, in you know, in a very, in this particular way, not just this particular way, but I like, you know what I mean? This is what is interesting to me. And if it's interesting to you, then, you know, you have a natural, um, and I, and I'm, I was a naturally precocious child. I was, you know, the kid in school who, in, you know, in first and second grade, I was, Christopher is very social and talks too much. Um, but by senior year of high school, I was demonstrating remarkable leadership qualities, you know, it's all in the perspective. <laughs> it's all about who's, you know, viewing it. Mm-hmm. So, um, so it's really it's what I'm fascinated by and I'm, and what I enjoy talking about. And because I enjoy talking about it um, and because people enjoy hearing me talk about it, I'm happy to talk about it, you know? So that's, I, I think that may be the answer to the question about brilliance, <laughs> but. All right. So uh, her next one is uh, what are your top five values as a witch? Ooh. Um, so uh integrity is huge for me um and by integrity i mean wholeness i don't mean like um i'm i'm talking about people who are willing to own the good and the bad and be willing to work on it um you know this is you know my, uh, and i i use the tarot as a model for this like you know what i mean this is who i am and 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 I'm not, I'm not willing to compromise who I am to make somebody else feel comfortable um, or to, to leave something unsaid. So integrity is huge for me. Um, um, compassion with healthy and compassionate boundaries. So I believe in compassion without, you know what I mean? I'm very, I try really, really hard um, with compassion. I'm not always great with it. Um, but I try really hard with compassion, but I think that compassion has to come with healthy boundaries because, you know, you're willing, I'm willing to do what I can for you, but you got to be willing to participate in your own process. If you're not willing to participate in your process and you think I'm going to pull you out of the quicksand, bitch, I'm not getting into the quicksand with you. I'm throwing you a rope, grab the rope. I'll help pull you out, but I'm not ruining my Prada and getting in there with you. It's just not an option. Um, then, um, responsibility and accountability. Mm-hmm. And and these are two words that a lot of people use interchangeably. And I think that they're very different words. I think responsibility 
you know, being willing to take responsibility for something and, and being willing to be held accountable for your actions. We're participating in the creation of this world. And so we have to be responsible and accountable for the world that we're creating um, or the, you know, the world, meaning the big world, but also the world, my little segment of it, you know? Um, I think um, discretion over judgment is really important. Um, I think that we have, we as a species have a tendency to judge um, as opposed to having a level of discretion. We, you know, and that, that pulls in that whole issue of compassion um, that need to, you know, to sit and, and, be willing to hear another person's perspective, even just to bear witness to it. Um, and then not to sit in judgment over it, but to have your own level of discretion in regards to it. Uh, so I think those are, so integrity, compassion, accountability, responsibility, and discretion. And and uh, yeah, discretion. Yeah, and the, that's five. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I we're now going to have our little break while we have our sponsors. Voices of the Temple is brought to you by our many wonderful sponsors for the Temple of Witchcraft Community Center Fund, including our anonymous and monthly contributors. Special thanks to the Robin's Nest a metaphysical community in all ways for always. Located in Bellingham, Massachusetts, the Robin's Nest offers a wide selection of magical tools, divination decks, books, crystals, incense, herbs, oils, teas, and candles for all of your spiritual and magical needs. The Nest also offers up a wide range of services, including psychic readings, rituals, and classes. Shop online at therobinsnestma.com or come to visit in person and be greeted by the sounds of running water, tinkling chimes, and laughing voices as you step into the magical realm. If you would like to become a sponsor for Voices of the Temple and contribute to the Temple of Witchcraft Community Center Fund, please contact Debbie Stullhorn at Debbie. That's an IE, Stellhorn at templeofwitchcraft.org. Or look for more information at our website at templeofwitchcraft.org. And now we're back with Chris. <laughs> and uh, the next question uh, is What books does he refer to most in his witchcraft library? Which books do I refer to most? Yeah, Ref- apparently. So, like, do which books do I go back to time and time again? Ah, mm-hmm. uh, oh my God, that's <laughs> if you knew my witchcraft library. It's and what's interesting is you know we we we'll use the word witchcraft and it's you know I I think my witchcraft section is, you know, this big, whereas like, you know what I mean? My section on the goddess is like three bookshelves and my book, my shelf on Buddhism is two or three shelves and fairy faith and Celtic stuff is that's a, that's a shelf on its own. So it's, it's kind of hard to, um, to think about what it's. So witchcraft is not being a witch 
mm-hmm. is something that I am. Um, and because it's what I am, it's what I wind up doing, but I don't really, I don't feel it, it's, it's not a, um, a lot of times I refer to myself as witch. I don't say I don't say I'm a witch, just like I don't say I'm a man or if I, you know, or a male or a queer or a, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Feeling, you know. Um, so witch for me is not my religious denomination. It's not sort of my religious vocations, so to speak. I know that a lot of people refer to being a witch. That you know, somebody say, well, what religion are you or what spiritual traditions do you follow? And people say, well, I'm a witch. And I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I have no qualm with that. Um, but witch is something much deeper for me um, because it requires a certain level of accountability and responsibility um, and a certain level of integrity. It, kind of a funny story when Christopher and I first met 30 years ago or something. I can't remember how long ago, 25 years ago. Um, he was, he had started doing a circle of the year at a bookstore that I was managing in Arlington. And there was an, an elderly friend of mine who would go to his circles and he, he knew that she and I were friends. And so he pulled her aside and said, so the guy downstairs at the front desk, is he a witch? And she said, well, he is, but don't ever say that to him, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And, Um, because for me to be a witch is a, that's a lot of responsibility. That's a, that's when you say I'm a witch, it means that you are, you are willing to take responsibility and hold yourself accountable and have a certain level of integrity and have a certain level of compassion and a certain level of discretion with the way you work in the world. And, and religion doesn't teach you that, you know, religion can help, can, you know, guide you in certain ways. Um, with morals and so forth. But at the at the end of the day, there's something inside of you um, that makes you witch. You know, I think there's something inside of us that, you know, that, you know, um, I think we all kind of got our start watching Bewitched. Like, you know what I mean? I was like, <laughs> of course, everybody wanted to be, you know, Samantha and I wanted to be Endora, but, <laughs> you know, um, but you know that that sort of triggers your interest in in the occult and sort of those unseen arts and those those things. Um, so witchcraft is for me, um, it's not just one thing, and it's nobody's to to my knowledge, nobody has written the quintessential book on witchcraft. You know, not even Christopher. Yeah. He's written volumes and volumes, and he, I'm sure, will admit that as well. Like, you know, he's like, there's places where he and I will have conversations, and he's like, I hadn't really thought about that. You know, mm-hmm. um, but for me, the books that have informed me as a person, the 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 most the books that have had the most impact on me as an individual. Um, Personally, were, um, you know, Alice Walker's The Color Purple was the huge, like I read that in high school and it, the whole, her whole conversation with, between Suge Avery and um, Seeley about what God is and Suge saying to God, to Seeley, you know, you're just looking at the old white man's God. Like, you know, God's not like that. God is just looking to enjoy in a good thing. You know, I think it pisses God off if you walk by the color, by a field full of purple and you don't admire the color purple. And, and that just blew my mind. I was like, this was a whole different way of thinking about or relating to the divine. Um, So, the Color Purple was a huge influence on me. Pema Chodron's books, all of her books have been hugely inf- um, influential for me. Um, 
when when I think about witchcraft, the you know, um, uh, Richard Cavendish is the black arts, which which got me going on this whole thing. Um, and there are a couple of books that I keep on my shelf, Marion Weinstein's Earth Magic and and um, and some of that. But witchcraft to me is much more intuitive than like picking up a book and reading a spell. I'm like, if you're going to do this shit, you got to pull it out of you. You know what I mean? Don't, you know, there's, there's plenty of good books that are going to give you um, sort of a boilerplate spell. But if you don't have some kind of, investment in that spell if you don't if your intention is not there for that spell you may as well just be you know whistling shit into the wind i mean it's not gonna it's not gonna help you at all um so i hope that i don't know if that answers the question but (laughs) i think i think that uh being a witch is not always the books that you know like the books that are made for witches that sometimes inform our practice. Um, It can be, you know, from Buddhism to, you know, like I just keep going back to, you know, uh, creative visualization. I go back to that all the time. Dr. Gawain's book. Yes. I I read it again and again. Like, I just feel like, okay. And I know it's a tiny book and, but, you know, it takes me back to, you know, 18 year old Adam who first saw this book and was amazed at suddenly, you know, my whole worldview just by reframing it and changing it. um, Like I started to have friends with popular girls and, (laughs) you know, like, and make friends with people, you know, that I thought I was completely closed off from and that was not available to me. Um, So it's interesting how, you know, uh, and that's not a witchcraft book. No, I'm mean, putting that in quotations for those who can't see, you know, of like, <laughs> it's not a witchcraft book, but it is something that shifts and changes. And um, isn't that what a witch is? It's someone who's making the changes to yep. things so that things can be better and being responsible for the way that they changed things. And, right. you know, anyway. We're bending right. reality. <laughs> bending reality, not breaking it. Not like bending it. it, bending and shaping, bending <laughs> and shaping. Hello, listeners. It's me, Adam. This podcast was quite long, so we have shortened it by making a second part two with our interview with Chris Terrell. So let us devoke our space. We thank the great spirit, the two who move as one. We thank the three rays of love, will, and wisdom. We thank the great goddess and the great God who move through us and work with us. May we recognize your presence in our lives. Blessed be. Merry meet, merry part, and merry meet again, hopefully in the next section. Blessed be. You've been listening to Voices of the Temple. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2010 of the Temple of Witchcraft. For more information, please visit templeofwitchcraft.org.